Our passage this week is well known to the church. Some of the last words of Jesus spoken before his ascension to heaven, which also highlights our triune God. But before we read the uh, passage, let's just review the context just a little bit. It's very telling how various gospel writers end their narratives about the life of Jesus. Each of the four writers, of course, write to different audiences, and we can see their connected themes as they weave and emphasize their purposes. Mark has us focus at the end on the empty tomb and the reaction of the witnesses. Luke gives us a series of appearances and the ascension that gets him next to Acts. And John gives us a lot of scenes that portray Peter because that story is central in his gospel. Now the end of Matthew's gospel is brief but dramatic. And in this chapter, he records an earthquake where the women go to Jesus' tomb early in the morning and all of a sudden, this angel comes out of heaven, rolls away the stone, and then sits on the stone. I kind of think that maybe Matthew would have been like an adventure writer in another life and maybe not a disciple because this is really good storytelling. The guards are shocked out of their life and the two Marys are directed to go and tell the disciples how Jesus has been raised, which they do with haste. And on the way, all of a sudden, Jesus is there and they're able to worship him and he tells them, don't be afraid. And I think about that and I think about how we should always find this text amazing that we shouldn't blow past it because we know that the resurrection happened. We should allow ourselves to enter into the joy of the moment with these women, these first preachers of the resurrection. They showed up and received an incredible gift. And then Matthew swings us to a completely different scene. After the earthquake, the guards, who must have been freaked out because they had one job to do, went to the chief priests to tell them everything that had happened. They went to hurry and manage up before other people got there. And we wonder, in their haste to go, did they run past Jesus? I never thought of that before until I read this again this week. They might have. If so, what a loss for them in their fear to make sure that they and the establishment stay secure, they miss the Lord. And in a devious scheme that has reverberated throughout church history, the priests and the elders pay the soldiers a large sum of money to lie about what happened to Jesus' body, saying that, well, just say that the disciples came and stole it while you were sleeping. And so the soldiers take the money with the promise of being protected by the religious leaders. And there is a sermon here. You're lucky I didn't preach two sermons this morning because I thought about it, about how faith leaders of all kinds cover up their mistakes and their sins and their heinous abuses that they commit in order to keep their power, in order to manage the narrative. And this reality has caused unbelievable harm to the church and God's people over generations and is literally, literally still happening today. And that should make us angry. We're reading about that in the headlines still today. Church, we have to live with integrity. We have to live with honesty. We can't allow our agenda to go before God's will ever. 
All right, rant over. Now, <laughs> the scene switches again to a mountain. And the mountain in Matthew is a meaningful place. And we read this and we know this is the disciples' final time with Jesus. And we think about significant endings in life, graduations and moves to Portland and career changes and deaths. And we know what a change this was for the disciples. But every ending has a new beginning. And Jesus here is closing out a foundational chapter of the life they had together and positioning them for what would be next. Now, Matthew's gospel focuses a lot on community and how the community deals with division and how the community needs direction from God, but also how the community has been trained and called for the mission that Jesus had for them. That this is an intentional end to a scripted beginning of the work to fully spread the gospel, the most important work of all, because it is God's design for all people to know him. So Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. Now, while this passage is about what is ending and about what Jesus was initiating, let's focus on the idea of why this is called the Great Commission, because these are words for us. To commission someone is to formally charge them with a task to do a specialized piece of work. In some fields, it might mean becoming an officer. It certainly means having the ability to act as an agent on behalf of someone in higher authority or a different kind of agency. But I was thinking about the commissioning of a ship. And I read an article about the Pride of Baltimore, which is an iconic uh, clipper sailing vessel that's a, a replica from 1812. And it said that commissioning a ship is the ceremony of placing a ship into active service. And then the author says, essentially, this is the day where the appointed officials say, hey, go be a boat. <laughs> be and do all that you were made to be. Now, interestingly, when a vessel is commissioned, it already has a name. It's already in the water. The formal recognition is when a ship goes into active service with the privileges and the responsibilities of the job that it's been given to do. This is a perfect picture of the disciples gathered on the mountain with Jesus, isn't it? They're already called disciples. They're ready to be launched. They've been raised up by him. They are placed exactly where they need to be. They may not feel ready. They may not be aware of the adventure that is in front of them, but their captain does, and he will lead them well. 
So this morning, I just want to simply go through the Great Commission and highlight a few things that we see here as a reminder that this commissioning is still in full effect for those who are under Jesus' command. So let's allow the Spirit to speak in a powerful voice to us because this is holy ground. These are not just words. This isn't my opinion. These are words from our Lord who we serve. The Lord's words to us. Now Matthew is careful to remind us that there are 11 disciples. This is a painful but necessary reminder that people make choices sometimes to walk away from Jesus. Now, verse 17 has, um, uh, is one that we often also forget. It says, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped, but they doubted. This is such an important piece. They were skeptical. The word for doubt here is distazo, which means uncertain. Of course. Of course, the disciples were uncertain. They had just been through an unbelievable roller coaster of events, traumatic and joyous and unknown. That is so much to process. Now, this word, distazo, is the same word that we find when Peter walks out on the water with Jesus. And it has the idea of standing in two places at one time. Isn't that good? It has the idea of being of two minds. So accurate. The disciples are there, but they are wondering. There's grace here from the Lord. There's grace when we are of two minds because doubting is part of faith. We might wonder, what exactly did they doubt? Did they doubt that it was really Jesus? Did they doubt that he really died? Did they doubt that this thing he started could continue? Now, what's interesting is that Jesus knows their hearts and their uncertainty, and he just goes past it. This isn't a time to process feelings or have a support group or have a forum about what's going on. He doubles down, and he tells them what needs to happen next. Actually, he tells them what will happen next. And then he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And we wonder, does this reassurance of Jesus telling them that he has all power help them in their doubts? Does it help you? It helps me. Because nothing is outside the realm of possibility for the one who has conquered death. And one of Matthew's themes in his gospel is authority. Jesus has authority to come and to teach and to cast out demons. Jesus has authority to question the, the, the ruling leaders. Jesus has authority to do all of these things. He is the son of man. In the wilderness, Jesus was challenged by the devil. Hey, I can give you authority. Yeah, no. The only true power is from the God. This authority is the basis of the commission. And so we look at our lives today and we say, where is Jesus' authority manifest in our life? What does that look like for us, that Jesus is the authority in heaven and on earth? We come next to the main point of the passage, which is to make disciples of all nations. This is the main directive of the commission. The three pieces around it are how we make disciples, but we are to make disciples of all nations. 
The Lord needs followers to go out into the world. What a great word to hear from the bishop today, all the things that are going on. And we know that we are a tiny part, a tiny denomination of so many things that are happening, that we are meant to go and to draw people to God. This making disciples is Christianity 101. And so we do what Jesus did. We invite people to seek God. We love them unconditionally. We meet them where they are. We listen to who they are. We speak truth with humility, offering a higher purpose and a higher call of what it is that we can understand here. We welcome them to be transformed into the spirit of God. We welcome them into community before they even profess Jesus at all. Making disciples is core to the faith. It has to be central to what the church does. Now, a radical piece of this commission is how the doors were blown open for everybody. Because now, Paul says, there's no Jew or Greek. There's no male or female. There's no slave or free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And the mission that God has for the church is to reach people in every neighborhood and every nation. America's not the best. We don't have the best church there. The church is global. It's everywhere. It's amazing. Everyone is honored in their own culture. And the Great Commission means that the church has to keep an outward posture, remembering that the good news in the kingdom doesn't have any borders. There are so many people today who are trapped by war and poverty and addiction and disease and starvation and violence and persecution. And the church has to care about more than ourselves. We have to love as Jesus did, giving up our life so that we can win as many as we can. The former CEO of World Vision, Richard Stern, said this, we have not been promised rescue from the world. We have been commanded to go and take back the world. The Great Commission is Jesus' call to storm the gates of hell and liberate his children, establishing his kingdom. Amen. How do we go and make disciples? Jesus says, go. And when I hear the word go, this is what I hear Jesus saying to us. Go out. Go from this place. Go and teach and heal and bring freedom. Go on and build what you've experienced from me. Go from the horror of the cross and use it as a symbol to die to yourselves because I am there to give you life. Go and offer my hope and my purpose to everyone that you meet. Go, even though you have doubts and fears and you're broken and you have other ideas maybe of how this should go. Go and continue with me as your teacher and Lord. Go, knowing that you are going to do greater things than I did in my three years here. Go, because thousands of years of the church are counting on your faithfulness. And all that you will learn through your failures and your fumbling through an uncertain future. Go, because the Spirit is going to come in a powerful way and none of you are ever going to be the same. Go and bring healing and deliverance. Go and invite people to seek me. Go and be obedient and I will do the rest. The church is meant to go. Where are you going, church, right now? Where are we going together? Where are you going to do the will of God? 
We also make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. On this Trinity Sunday, it's important that we remember that the, that the noun name here in the name is singular. That the three persons of the Trinity are not three different gods. They are distinct but equal entities who make up the one true God. And when people are baptized, we make sure that they understand this action that they're doing, but also how God is revealed through scripture together and separately as a holy unit. This is a mystery we grapple with. It's hard to explain. But I think that it's something that we understand the longer it is that we know the Lord. Now, this is not a formula that Jesus is giving for the church. He's communicating a profound truth that is symbolized in the sacred act of baptism. When we read of Jesus' own baptism and how the Father's voice booms out, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And the dove comes and lands on the Son. We understand a little bit more of this teaching. This is an incredible picture of unity in three parts. And we celebrate how our salvation comes together by all three persons of the Trinity and how the Lord teaches us to honor the fullness of the Godhead. The third way that the disciples are made is to teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. See, this isn't just about making sure that people get saved. It's coming alongside them to help them to grow and to be mature, to help them to closely follow Jesus, which means that we ourselves need to keep growing. Life in Christ isn't just about head knowledge. Jesus wants us to apply the truth so that our lives will be changed. I feel like in this last year we've been talking a lot about obedience, and sometimes I haven't even liked it. I think that though that sometimes Christians can make up a version of faith where Jesus is not meant to be obeyed. The one who said, if you love me, you will keep my commands, expects us to obey. Do you know that in Matthew, there are over 50 commands from Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let your light shine. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Love your enemies and do good to those who harm you. Ask the Lord of the harvest to bring workers into his harvest field. Don't judge because you too will be judged. Keep awake for you don't know the day I will come back. See, everything Jesus communicated and lived and modeled are included in this commission as he came to fulfill the prophets and the law all the ways that he taught everything Jesus says, teach them everything that you have learned from me. What are we learning right now that we're teaching other people? Who's coming up behind us, who we can mentor and love and raise up? What is Jesus teaching you now that you can be teaching others? The final highlight is how Jesus reminds the disciples how he will always be with them to the end of the age. I love this because so many commentators uh, mention how in the first chapter of Matthew, the angel comes and says, the baby Jesus will be called Emmanuel, God with you. And in this portion, Jesus is actually saying, I am Emmanuel. I 
am God with you. I will always be with you. There's never going to be a time that you will be away from my presence, however long the end of the age is. We just sang, hold on, this is not the end. We don't know when the end will come, but there won't be a moment that Jesus won't be with us to that time. So only Matthew's gospel ends with a powerful commission where Jesus voices what is expected from those who follow him. And this assignment is for those who are present on that mountain and also all of us who would come later. Like ships that are launched, we're told to go and be created, to go and and do what we were raised up to do and to be. Ships aren't made to sit in dry dock. They're not made to splash around with one another once a week. Did you catch that? (laughs) Disciples aren't made to live for themselves and one another. It's imperative for the church today that we stay focused on this teaching from Jesus, not just so that we can see where the church came from, but for where he is leading us today and into the future. So much of the church in America is not growing, and there are many reasons for this, and one of them is that disciples aren't going out and making disciples. And there's not one way to do this. So many of you go out and you sow seeds and water and bring home the harvest and help people grow. But we always have to be asking, are we obeying this command that Jesus requires us to go and to offer his life to those who don't know him. Are we doing that? I praise God for the large flotilla of ships commissioned as the church. And I just have to say in a kind of a Mark Bates kind of way, we don't want to miss the boat. (laughs) Right? We want to be disciples who love our Lord, who worship him fully, who follow him closely, and who welcome being remade in his image because this is the kind of disciples that Jesus needs, the kind of disciple Jesus uses, the kind of disciples who grow the church and multiply the faith as the Lord envisioned and commanded. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.